0: Today is the 20th of the 7th, 2009. The talk today is meditation. It's basically just the beginner's course of, on meditation, which somebody else here could just as easily give. There's many, many meditation teachers, as you know, on the planet. It's a legion, almost. There come hundreds of thousands of different types of meditation teachers, giving different um, forms of teaching from different religions. They're not all Hindu or Buddhist but there's Christian forms of meditation, Zen forms. They've all adapted to produce relaxation of mind on the whole to help people cope with life. they generally associate with yoga asanas We teach a very simplified form of meditation that's geared for Westerners specifically in their busy lives. We don't recommend to sit for a long period of time. Um, Nor do we recommend hatha yoga as a whole. We do recommend everything that relates to being healthy, to have a healthy body. So whatever you do, by means of relaxation therapy, you know, body postures, tai chi, hatha yoga, running around the block, um, is all part of the warm-up exercises for meditation. What we do, we want you to do, um, is to be able to sit for maybe an hour with your spine straight and relaxed. And it's obvious for all of you that if you've got to have pains here and pains there, you're not going to be meditating very well at all. So it's uh, beholden to you to actually do all the things to eliminate tendencies to any form of pain when you're sitting. For Westerners, I'm quite happy for them to sit on a chair, for instance, or sit with their backs to a wall if they can't sit straight. You don't need to know yoga postures such so as a Siddhiasana and a Padma though they do help considerably to keep your spine straight and they are recommended. But for Westerners often their knees get some sort of rigor mortis after they turn the age of twenty or thereabouts and after that. Uh Westerners often get stiffer and stiffer and cross legged in these Yoga postures is not really possible. I've practiced for some years to try to sit for some hours if need be without having acute knee pains. So, (coughs) the posture, as you can see, is not important. A straight spinal column is. um, It's no good slouching because then the energy goes to the back, Um, the curve of your back. And if they come out there, then there's going to be back pains for sure. And we certainly don't want uh, problems of the back arising. So if you can uh, sit up straight in meditation, then the energy will go from the base of the spine to your head lotus, hopefully, or to your heart or your throat centre, whichever, whatever's the um, point of orientation or focus for the energies. Also, with regards to this uh, keeping yourself healthy, you've got the basic concept of eating healthy food, living a nice healthy lifestyle, drinking a lot of um, wine and or smoking a lot of dope and those things uh, don't really facilitate the meditative mind. Of course, the, the um, alcohol, <coughs> there's a from Johnny Mitchell Alcohol gets you there, Uh, but I mean it gets you somewhere, it doesn't get you into meditation. Uh, It dulls your mind, it kills your brain cells. You all have heard the medical fraternity give you the uh, low down on on alcohol consumption. A little bit is fine, um, but if you're going to drink it to the point of um, getting drunk or tipsy then you're just destroying your meditative life. Socialising and sort of um clinking glasses and having a little bit of at, at lunch or dinner, that's your habit. We're not talking about a matter of fact your stomach makes alcohol anyway when you're eating such things as white flour, white rice. Um, it uh, digests and ferments in the in the stomach, that stuff that starts and produces some alcohol. Mm. But what I'm trying to get to is try to be healthy through a correct healthy lifestyle. My um, meditation pamphlet gives you the keynotes to that, which is this book, uh, The Way to Shambhala. Uh, it used to be called The Way to Meditation, and the subtitle is A Meditation Manual. That is um, highly recommended for my students to study, the whole book. Uh, so early on, we are talking about hierarchy, now we're talking about the means to get in touch with hierarchy, to communicate with hierarchy. And on the whole that's what today's talk is about. So of course um, meat eating should um, leave your lifestyle on the whole. It doesn't produce the types of pranas that are conducive to meditation. Nor does alcohol. What happens with drugs, uh, whether it's masculine or grass or mushrooms or, or acid? They open your eye to lower, lower psychic states. They um, can also slow your mind down, and you can um, hallucinate on on any minutiae in this room and lose yourself in. Right, it can be compared to a meditative mind, and it is so, however you're not in control of it. And you don't particularly want to use drugs as a mechanism to try obtain any higher states because it can't get beyond the solar plexus centre and um, the minor chakras. And it can easily force those open, which again you don't want. And um, Drugs uh, that are created in laboratories, of course, are very good at destroying brain cells and, and leading to premature death. So, you know, speed and those types of drugs, of course, they kill, they um, destroy any faculty of meditative abilities. So we basically just tell everyone in our organisation eliminate drugs, eliminate um, um, animal products, eliminate all forms of toxins in your lifestyle, live naturally. The other, and that's all in my book, so you can read the text there and get all the detail and then you can ask me or anyone else that's um, part of the organisation for detail if you want. There's plenty of health food books out there. Some of them are useful. Some of them are not so useful. Some of them have got a lot of fanatical and distorted and weird and wonderful remedies that are not necessary. The simplest possible way to gaining health is what I espouse, and um, that involves fasting, it involves sort of eating sort of sun bowed fruits and um, and plants and of course it um, involves um, breathing in proper pranas, the energies. The energy straight from the sunlight, energy from a nice, sane, healthy living style, prefer bring in a country environment or a very quiet, peaceful, shanti um, place to live in. Um, we expect everyone that's a meditator to have a um, sanctified spot in their room, a place where I can erect a little shrine and where I can sit and meditate. It's um, quite important to actually have a magnetised spot. When you're moving around, um, like those of you who come here from overseas, um, it's often good to take a little statue or or something with you that's, uh, or symbols or bells, something that you can continue to practise in your hotel room. Um, Bring a few pictures of of, um, a deity or a Buddha or Tara or something like that um, that um, can inspire you and um, symbolise that which you're hoping to obtain. So you make a little shrine and you continue your meditation life therein. Don't um, get lost in too much worldly mire. Uh, The important thing in life is meditation, the important thing in life is that which produces liberation of your mind, expansions of consciousness. Not um, mundane livingness, not um, getting involved in what we call the maya or the maya of of samsara. It's all illusional not to be attached to. Um, um, Understand it, work with it, master it, move on, go into high mind spaces high enlightenment attitudes awareness states develop a clear mind open your heart to higher revelations allow yourself and begin to communicate with entities, divine entities from sublime sources and learn to distinguish between them and all of the whisperings of dark ones that um, want to manipulate you to do things that don't really relate to enlightenment or loving attitudes. It's a development of the heart above all things that we're talking about in meditation. How to become truly loving. How to become truly perceptive of all things that are happening to you. Externally and internally. So that your, whatever happens to you in this um, maze of, um, of mara in this world of samsara, the types of karma that you're flooded with that, that um, suddenly hit you out of the, like a bolt of lightning out of the blue, that uh, um, teach you not to be addicted to things of the form. This is um, what you're going to become master of or mistress of in your meditative lifestyle. And then you're also uh, opening up to the great dimensions of perception and the great um, realms of realisation, the inner realms um, of beauty, of great vision, of um, astounding and wondrous entities to come and um, befriend you with their gifts, the gift waves of beneficence and um, great wisdom and joy. You understand in time that this bodily form that you're attached to is um, is a great illusion, it's, it's a transitory thing, um, and to um, not identify with this form as, uh, as a human being. You are, yes, we're humans because we have these forms, but the human unit is not what you see around you inhabiting these forms, it's something far greater than that, it's spirit-soul. It's a... Uh, a child of the universe, it's a traveller in cosmos, it's it's been evolving and travelling in cosmos long before this earth was, and will continue long after the earth disappears into a mist of time. You're far vaster, far more expansive, far more multidimensional than These body perceptions working through your eyes and your five sense consciousnesses tell you. And of course, most of us are busy interrelating with these bodily forms as if that was the only reality in life when it is not so. So, meditation, the world of meditation, opens you up to these greater realities, opens you up to what you truly are, and lets you let go of your body. You literally die before you die. That's one way of looking at it. You're learning to die every day. Not Saint Paul says I die daily. Uh, um, You're letting go of the attachments to form. As you become more and more awake and more and more enlightened, the concept of um, what happens in the life after death no longer becomes a mystery. You're experiencing those realms all the time in your meditation mind. You don't have to talk about it much. It's just simply. Your world. So when it comes to leave your body, you simply leave your body. You exit and you go to a very familiar place, or places. The more mental you are, the more enlightened. The more emotional you are, the more you are of average humanity, and you go into an astral zone, the heaven realm that they've created for themselves. And it's vast, vast as the imagination can create. There's some terrible places, hell states as well, that people go to, inadvertently because they're selfish, materialistic, attached to form. They take from others, they cause a lot of pain and suffering. And the pain and suffering descends upon them, and and, um, so if they're selfish, materialistic, that selfishness descends upon them. And materialism becomes their habitat. And it is not light and filled, it becomes very dark and clammy indeed. Whatever happens to you in life after death is what you've created for yourself in this life, through your emotions and emotional attachments. It's best to let go of all those things and just give give yourself to the um, lords of life, to the sun, to humanity. Free yourself of those types of burdens. But of course we're talking about giving wisely. Meditation teaches you how to do that, how to be wise. How to be truly loving, wisely loving, so you don't dissipate energies in any field of endeavour. You're instructed in meditation as to what to do. Um, Sometimes you can use this um, phrase renew your batteries so you can heal yourself through all forms of sicknesses, you can prevent the oncoming of sicknesses, Um, you can cleanse your mind so it doesn't react to negative impressions. In meditation We walk and meditate all the time so we don't really have to sit um, 24 hours like some of the great yogis had to do in seclusion in a um, cave or a a jungle retreat to an enclosed space um, like a dungeon where somebody is um, feeding you every now and then. Um, Because your enclosed space is your body and everything that happens to your body is that dungeon. But as you're walking around, your meditation mind is alive, awake, vital, and communicating with uh, multi-dimensional space. And what we're teaching you to do is to be meditators as you're living your life, as you're breathing the air around you, vital life, vital breath. You're devoted to it. You are obedient to the impulses of the lords of life, and you're joyous as you give outwardly to that which you receive inwardly. Everything is free in the world of meditation. And that's the beauty about it. It doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> as you read this way to Shambhala and you study it and you practice the, the teachings, then you'll find that A. you've never been alone. A lot of people seem to think that they're individuals, that they're themselves, or what they call themselves, when in reality you'll find that you're part of a brotherhood or a sisterhood or a unity of souls that are travelling in the same direction, from past life to future lives, they're a group of beings, Um, some are incarnate, some are disincarnate, all, in a sense, meditating together. Eventually you'll discover that an entire life is but a meditation unfolding before your eyes. All you have to do is recognize the nature of the meditation and the accordingly. It's wonderful, though, actually, to be guided that way, according to the way of the meditation mind, according to the way that your soul, for instance, designed it for you to be before you came into existence. The whole plan was formulated from that little dot in your mother's womb um, outwardly um, until you sort of um, are hobbling along on three legs and um, find yourself in a the, the wheelchair or something. It's all been planned, every bit of it, before you came into existence. And what you actually have to learn to do is to work out what that plan is in meditation and follow it, without resistance, without hindrance to it. And that then produces what might be called a perfect life, the life that you are a meditation mind unfolding. Have you ever thought of your lives like that? Just simply a meditation streams sort of um, travelling down the path and, and um, manifesting the winds of change as all those winds that um, blow through society move. We call the winds of change in the texts pranas. There's five different types of prana, um, the five elements, the five sense consciousnesses, the five wisdoms of the Tathagata. I mean, I could name the pranas, they're sort of nice technical terms, you know, prana, vayana, or dana, samana. And then we could go into them, and this then would become a technical um, meditation treatise, or tractors, however you want to look at it, um, related to the five, chakras seen from the Buddhist perspective and then we go into technical law of meditation that's not so important in our particular path we're not going to ask you to count your breaths one two three four five hold one two three four five in your mind and release slowly one two three four five or whatever the um actual um the numbers that some meditation teachers tell you—that's all just mind, gurgitating mind. It's antithetical really to meditation. Anything that causes your mind to be convolutedly involved with itself is not meditation. The same as in mean, um, some forms of meditation practices, such as the for um, passing that's taught through the Garuanga system. What do they do? They're sort of concentrating upon the minutiae of the form, um, the cellular constitution, and trying to cut themselves off from any impression that comes. And that's deadly. That's, that's antithetical to meditation. The mind is always active, 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 trying to look at the minutiae, And it's in a, then it's active, 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 trying to prevent anything from coming in. If the Buddha wanted to speak to such a person, they'd tell the Buddha to go away, get lost. Right? How can you gain any enlightenment under such a schema? Of course, um, two weeks of fasting and silence and all of that is going to awaken certain minor cities, especially if you're concentrated um, upon f- the form itself. But those minor cities and the type of euphoria that comes with it is not meditation. It's not the objective of meditation in any way, shape or form. It can be quite disruptive. Likewise, if you're practicing hatha yoga and you're twisting your body around and all of these types of asana positions, and you're breathing in and counting breath, oh, you're really um, lucky if you don't come back w- out of that with a, with a insanity or with a, um, um, a disease spleen or something like that. Um, the fanaticism of the mind should not be... Um, applied to the body and its postures and the pranas that work through it in any way. And never ever does a meditator, or should a meditator, ever um, concentrate upon a chakra, unless it is the heart centre itself. But even then, until the heart is ready to awaken, all you'll do is um, explode some of your minor chakras, like the breasts, the centres, and um, curls, sow the seeds for Um, chest and throat congestion. And if you want to spend your time coughing away and um, having lots of um, sicknesses of the upper respiratory tract, then concentrate on your heart um, before you're really ready for it. Because the SP energy, which is water, goes there. So we don't really ask you to concentrate upon chakras. It's actually a dangerous practice. The heart is the safest for sure, but I've just given you... um, one of the uh, drawbacks of it if you're not ready for it, for the release of energy. And believe me, when you're meditating properly, it always releases energies. The meditator has to deal with the effects of releasing energy. Energy goes to the line of least resistance. Until you have an instructor that can actually teach you um, how to control that line of least resistance, it can go through your sacral centre into your sexual organs, it can go into your stomach um, and help produce goiter or, or sort of ulcers. It can go into, um, as I said, your um, lungs and um, upper respiratory tract to, to um, make all those coughs and uh, wheezes that people have. Uh, it can go into the head if it's infused with Kunluni fire being released prematurely and produce insanity burn away all of the um, substance that um, allows you to think properly, the synapses can be destroyed. It's a dangerous practice to be practicing with these energies, um, arbitrarily. And there are many, many fools out there, and there are thousands and probably hundreds of thousands, that think that they meditate, or meditation instructors, teaching, um, ignorant people how to look at chakras when all they're doing is sowing the seeds for the um, the lunatic asylum of um, the um, and, um, medical wards of, of um, their next life and the whole it's quite logical I've explained this to you a little bit before it's in the books, in any sort of sane book on meditation um, and giving you um, warnings about the dangers of premature meditation, um, Kundalini yoga, Kundalini awakening. But even if you're not practicing this type of yoga, um, and you're living sort of um, nicely, you're eating the proper foods, you're concentrating on diet, you love the sun and all of those sorts of things, um, you're basically dancing in the street because you're full of joy of life. Um, but the uh, (coughs) energies that you release is a major concern and um, you actually have to learn to handle them and the meditation instructor actually has to assist you to make sure that they don't burn you out in one way or the other or don't go in the wrong direction. What uh, the energies that release actually do for all of us is they throw out your sicknesses. That's right, your samskaras, um, the negative aspects of your past lives. It's, um, of this life, it's um, quite simple. If, um, just to give you an example of it, um, if you think that all is energy, and science agrees, right, uh, it's, we meditators and scientists are, are both in accord with the fact that all is energy, and we say energy is controlled by consciousness, by mind. So you've got this, uh, and they'll probably agree with that too, and um, certainly have the experiments, then just think about it. As you're going through um, your um, spiritual development and you're starting to improve your lifestyle, you're getting rid of all those drugs, you're no longer taking your alcohol, you're no longer um, debauching yourself with base foods, uh, and you start now living this high and you stop your smoking and whatever it is, you uh, habits uh, you're no longer watching the tv but what you've what what is there when you sort of start to get into a regime of meditation is all of the energy all of that substance all those toxins but when you're doing all those things they're going to go somewhere um, and um, you're putting into your body much more healthy vital fluids much more um, invigorating and um, high octane energy, yes. So that high octane energy, that, that type of prana, that new lifestyle that you're putting into your body, um, wax that, uh, that old sort of base substance, your, your sort of um, sedentary, sort of um, dissipative lifestyle substance. And that comes to the surface and it's no longer welcome. And it's grey, it's brown, it's grey green, it's sickly. It's a source of sickness now. It's no longer that which caused you joy, happiness. It comes to the surface and it goes out to an organ of your body. And as it comes out, all those pranas, you're going to get sick. It's essential. It's part of the process. There's no way of avoiding it. You um, put all of those sickness pranas into you through your dissipative lifestyle, they have to come out. And so, um, enjoy a process of having really sort of painful spleen or um, stomach um, problems or headaches coming to the surface and lots of them because your new lifestyle has done that. And this is about the time when a lot of um, perspective meditators leave. Uh, They don't particularly like the idea of getting these cleansings, what we call them. There's level after level after level after level after level after level after level level of cleansings, of sicknesses. Subtler and subtler and subtler and sometimes quite gross. Sometimes there's some heavy thing from some past life, um, some really base past life that you lived. You know, whoring and drinking and all of that, gambling, you know, that type of lifestyle you've... um, you've um, read about in the books, you're not doing it this life, but there's some stupid life when you're busy and in those sorts of things. That samskara may be driven through you because the whole art of meditation is to cleanse you of all of your past misdeeds. Most meditators don't know anything about that and don't teach you this, but we do. Because we're always looking at your past lives, we're always looking at what's happening in the now. What needs to be cleansed? So um, meditation in reality is the primal or the primary, the only real healing technique on this planet. There's no other way of healing yourself of your true sicknesses and diseases, of your past forms of debauchery. Make sense to you? You're going to high and high energy states, therefore gross energy forms have to come out of you. And they can only come out of sickness, disease. Um, ailments or unpleasantness or backaches or, oh, it's, it's a legion this, this, um, thing. and so we're healers we look at um, everyone's problems as they come to the surface and then we try to fix them up or we let the, the amount of time ride it's not that easy to fix up for instance one whole lifetimes of debauchery within a short period of time in this way so the meditation techni- uh, teacher first of all is a healer of this form of healing, yes? And everyone is healing themselves because they're working to become enlightened. And enlightenment, believe me, you've actually literally in the end got to be able to hold in consciousness um, a uh, thermonuclear explosion, that type of energy. <coughs> That's what liberates. That's what causes the high um, awareness states of, uh, of uh, what in the yogic text is called a Siddha those with real psychic powers, those that can fly in the air or whatever, the alchemists or true alchemy. Of course not everyone's necessary at that stage. We're talking about the terminal, of the fourth initiation there. There's lower initiations that most people are at. But whatever level of initiation that you are um, aspiring towards, there must come the cleansings of this life plus former lives that you have not yet cleansed the samskaras from. So different types of nadis carry the elements earth, air, water, fire, and ether. Um, so depending on the type of element that you're cleansing, whether it's watery which is for most people, uh, mixed with fire to produce various forms of steam, that comes to the surface in the various nadis and the chakras that are associated with them and you're dealing with the unpleasant side effects. Does that make you want to become meditators? Have I sort of really inspired you? Um, or are you fearful of, of, um, of the side effects? Um, perfect health is what is the objective here. It's what will happen over time. But in between now and perfect health, there's a process of getting rid of sicknesses. And so, what is the focus in meditation? What is the safe point of focus? <clears throat> the safe point of focus is nothingness, essentially. Um, what you're doing is um, eliminating your mind of its own concepts. So in our meditation technique, um, I'm just giving you a bit of um, a backdrop or background to the general process and um, what you're generally doing. But in our meditation technique, you let go of your concepts of mind. As a matter of fact, when we sit, first of all, you'll do your sadhanas, your asanas, a ritual, your, if you've got prayers, you like, you know, how Mary for a place, you know, pray for our sinners, I don't know, if you've got guys go are Catholics once, it's a good prayer too. Um, it's, um, you know, if you've got prayers, it doesn't really matter what religion you're at. Um, you start with them. Anything to, to make you nice and devotional and feel joyous inside, right? Um, you can do your half hour or so asanas um to limb up your body because you're going to sit um you're going to um go into that room sometime and actually sit after you've done all of this um ritual you know i don't mind if you prostrate before the um uh, you know just do your you know sort of fifty thousand prostration of your hundred thousand sort of um Uh, ablakatushvara, a sort of um, sadhana um, as part of your looming up exercises. It's it's all part of the process. But eventually you're going to sit um, after you've prepared your mind and your body. And um, We in our meditations will use a bell like this when we actually have group meditation. It's rung three times. The first time it's rung is for for you to start to... um, Pacify your physical body to make it relaxed. The second time it's wrong is for you to calm your emotional body. And the third time it's wrong is for you to start to eliminate all thoughts in your mind. Most people, when they sort of do this meditation, they've done all these asanas and whatever, they've come home from work, they're full of all sorts of chattiness in their mind, they've just watched a movie, I don't know what it is that, that, that's there. Um, they have to eliminate all those things. So basically first of all you're observing this mind get rid of all of the, the, um, the junk that's in it. Right. Um, so um, and then um, you've um, watched this, you've eliminated that, your mind is now calm. It's clear of this, these types of images and then you say the Om. We um, on page 94 of this meditation um, uh, manual, I've got a, um, a prayer here uh, and before we do this prayer we also have the Great Invocation, which we also say, which all of you will learn um, May my heart awaken to planetary purpose and the need to ameliorate the sickness, disease and the stress they May I evoke the will to overcome all hindrances to enlightenment. Uh, may I humble myself before the great lords of love and light so that I may learn to properly serve. This type of prayer, um, there's a shortened version of this as well. Um, this type of prayer is something that you say um, in order to, f- with visualized focus, there's no good just mumbling it with your mouth. You're actually trying to visualize it so that um, your whole mind is rightly oriented to what you're meditating for, um, um, planetary purpose, uh, well this is a, um, to humiliate or to fix up sicknesses and diseases and distress you in, to overcome all hindrances to enlightenment and to produce proper true humbleness so that you can properly serve or give to humanity and then you can say Om oh, Hum but um, you should actually learn the proper meaning of these terms. Foundations of Tibetan Mysticism by Govinda is a good book for this. Though Om is sufficient. Om is... Um, the three different ways of saying Om. There's the A, uh, the O-M and the A-U-N. One crystallizes and um, causes the congestion of substance, which is the A-U-M. So the uh, the M is resounded. The one sort of produces liberation of consciousness, which is the O-M, where the M is not resounded. And the other one sort of produces um, uh, a piercing ability to cut through high all the glamours and illusions, which is the A sound. And there's a soundless sound, which happens in meditation. So there's a a basic form of mantra saying that we give. And um, once you've done that, you've said your mantra, then you produce a clear, calm, quiescent state. You are breathing naturally. You're not counting breaths. Just in and out until you forget about it. The breath takes care of itself. It doesn't need to be thought about. Wherever the mind is, whenever is, um, um projected upon breath, there you have a point of tension. There you have a possibility of congestion, congealing of substance, a negative effect within the body. Let the breath take care of itself. Forget about it. Forget about everything. You're emptying yourself of yourself. And then... Um, you do the visualization. This is called Seated Meditation. We have a visualization which I've given to many, many, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. And it's written in all my books, so it's quite well published and well known. But it's effective. We have another meditation that i sometimes given to women and others I could give um, that's geared specifically to a particular meditator. Um, sometimes I might give a specific geomet- geometrical meditation to those that have um, very, very scientific minds and so forth. Um, it's all, the seed of meditation is is relatively irrelevant, though it must be correct and proper for the symbolism associated. So the, the seed that we give, once you've emptied yourself of yourself, is the journey to the sun. The sun itself is a symbol of your own soul, your own higher self, of the heart centre itself, which you're entering into, the heart and the head, which is the higher version of the sun. So you go from the heart centre to the heart and the head and that awakens a whole tall petal lotus. And above that is your soul and above that is the monadic or spirit aspect of you and that is an integral part of of the kingdom of souls, an integral part of the hierarchy of light, which is another sun, and that which is an integral part of Shambhala, um, of which the hierarchy of the light is the heart and the head of. So the sun is an appropriate symbol to enter into. And of course, physically, it's the source of all life and love on this planet. Without the sun, there's no life. That's what we eat when we eat food. It's... It all starts with captured sunlight, that's what plants do. They capture the sunlight, turn into protein, stored in starches, um, capture into vitamins which is this pure stored sunlight. That's the difference incidentally between um, vitamins that are derived from plants and the vitamins that are made out of chemicals, uh, test tubes. One is pure sunlight, the other is a coal tar derivative that uh, is got no life in it. It's a skeleton. It's dead. So if you're going to take vitamins, please take the um, the the sun-enriched um, source, not the skeleton, the corpse. Journey to the sun. The beginning of this journey, after you've calmed your mind, the OM has had its sound, it's pervaded space, the space of your mind. There's nothing there but this meditation your body is relaxed, and you see a deep indigo blue ocean of as vast as the eye can see. Every which way you look is this indigo blue. Why indigo blue? Because this is love, pure love, cosmic love. And if you get absorbed in this properly and experience it, you'll experience the very heartbeat of cosmos. All sentiency, all consciousness is absorbed into it. Pure love, a wonderful experience, exquisite. Anyway, you're sailing on this. Some people find that this particular ocean is quite choppy. It's, yeah, it's indicative of the state of their emotions. They haven't controlled them, it's okay. Some people have, um, uh, find themselves actually underneath the ocean because that's where they are emotionally. It's okay. The visions, the visualizations, it's part of the process of getting there. And then, on this indigo blue ocean, you find yourself in some vehicle, some boat, getting to the sun. And as you're traveling towards the sun, there on the horizon, um, far in the distance is a sun that's starting to appear and getting larger and larger. And you're getting closer and closer until you get and see it's warmth. When you get right up to the sun, a door appears in the centre and you enter into it. And inside the sun, certain things happen. You record what's happened to you, what you've experienced. Beings may come to teach you something. You might find something symbolic. Um, some symbolic teachings, maybe nothing will happen at all. I've seen people go into one sun and then sort of there's another sun appear for them to go into. I've seen... Um, um students get to the sun for instance and surfy um one of my surfy friends got into the sun on the surfboard. It's okay. Others sort of um, find themselves in magnificent sort of um, dragon ships flying over the ocean to the sun. Others in rowing boats busy sort of rowing there. Dragon sort of um, you know, sort of um, galleons and um whatever. It's these are mechanisms, the symbolism of how to get there and they do tell me something about where that person is at and sometimes their spiritual age. But um, <coughs> So, you've experienced what's in the sun, and then you know internally the meditation is over, you say it on, you come out of your meditation, and then you record what you've experienced. If you're doing a group meditation, then you explain it to the group. We don't hold our meditations sacred to ourselves. As a matter of fact, there's often someone within the group that can explain to you or help you to explain what's happened. Um, Meditation is group meditation. Um, There's no such thing as the I, the me, and therefore, um, you're travelling with a group. Ultimately, you'll find that the Sun, Journey to the Sun, is also something that is travelled by all the members of your group. There's group meditation, group evolution, group initiation, as well as individual initiation. And um, somebody like me is looking at group in, um, initiation just as much as I'm looking at the initiation of individuals. Now, the whole object of this, this um, exercise is not just to make you feel good or to give you a wonderful experience, but actually we're trying to connect you with the Masters of Wisdom, with the hierarchy of light. So doing it once is not going to do much. You actually have to do it continuously for quite a while, learn to listen to what they say and learn about them. As which is the main reason why I've given this information in my way to meditation, this um, way to Shambhala book. And early on in my second volume of the revelation. Most essential stuff. So all of our teachings relate to you learning about yourself to give you knowledge about where you've come from, how you stand on the inner arms, what you're doing on this planet, where you're going to in the future. And so this particular journey to the sun, you can do it, somebody else can give you a teaching, but if they can't follow it up, it's really not that important. And so eventually um, you'll learn about hierarchy, you'll learn about the Masters of Wisdom, you begin to understand um, which one of the masters um, you have the closest affinity to. They will telepathically instruct you. From then onwards, you no longer think in terms of you as an individual um, in command of your life. You are a son or a child or daughter of the master, and he is directing you what needs to be done in terms of the field of service. You have found your Guru, your Lord, and you don't need to go any further in your spiritual quest. You've come home. You're part of his ashram. You've been traveling with this group of this ashram and involving short for um generations of lives. You're going somewhere in cosmos and you're being directed there. So you become a vehicle of service. It's all got to do with how to better help humanity. And the master of wisdom is not going to be interested in you if you're fundamentally, fundamentally only interested in yourself. Your petty concerns, your selfishness, um, your environment, how to get a better job. These are not concerns of a master. It's how you can be trained to help humanity. How you can be trained to serve your group and only because you've got a capacity to help humanity, only because you've got a capacity to serve the group, will a master of wisdom, or a great diva, or any other inner plane entity, other than the dark brotherhood, um, interrelate with you and take the time to educate you. And every meditation experience you get is not because so much of what you're doing, because all that you're doing is manifesting conditions that allow you to journey to the sun that allow those images those visuals that are coming into your mind to be seated there it's not you doing it it's they're coming into your mind because there's some entity projecting them there you have emptied your mind and you're standing there emptied of all thoughts you sowed the seed um, meditation um, getting into the sun, and you're not even capable of um, of um, sewing which way you get there, whether it's on a surfboard, whether you're swimming, whether you're on a tugboat, whether you're on a, a golden dragon ship, or whether you just find yourself flying through, or whether you find yourself in it immediately. That's also given to you. You understand? Um, so from then onwards, you're guided. And the masters of wisdom will look at you, look over you, give you what you need, give you the symbols that you have to learn through. And eventually, when you are ready, when you are actually sort of really ready, they'll start communicating with you, telepathically awakening your heart, sending energies into you, blessing you, interrelating you with your brothers and sisters, um, encouraging you and so forth to do the service work you've come to do.